Hey guys, and welcome to our series, which is all about moving your medical career to Australia. This is part 5C of our series, which is a great overview of the AMC2 clinical exam. My name is Dr. Caroline from Code You Australia, where we help people revive, survive, and thrive in their medical careers. So part five is all about your general registration, but there are elements that you need to have to get your general registration. So AMC2 falls into that because you need some type of clinical exam to get your general registration. Now, if you are not getting your WBA because you're not currently employed by a hospital who offers WBA, or perhaps you haven't got employment yet, but you still want to go ahead and sit your clinical exam, then AMC2 is for you. So where do you get started with the AMC2 clinical exam? Now, both Sasha and I have not taken the AMC2 clinical exam. We have done WBA because our hospital offered the WBA program. However, the place I started to get information was, of course, the AMC, the Australian Medical Council website. I went to the clinical exam part of the website and looked at the information. I spent a few hours and I have gathered all the information and I'm here to deliver it to you as a overview. So the first thing is just like the AMC MCQ1 exam, they actually have a specification booklet, which is really just an information booklet. The AMC2 has one as well, and it is a fantastic resource. I read through it. It is amazing. It's going to give you a lot of information you need to know. So that's where you start. And I've put the link to this specification booklet in our captions below. So a lot of this information is from that booklet. So let's just start with what is the AMC2? The AMC2 is a clinical exam. It has 16 stations and it is done either online via video conferencing, which is a video call, and it's at a location organized by the candidate. So this could be your home. This could be somebody else's home. It's wherever you think you can do the exam the best. And obviously, you've got to factor in things like the internet, connection. So wherever you think that that will be the most reliable, that's where you should go. Or it can be done at the National Test Center in Melbourne, NTC. Now, this is, of course, if COVID rules allow. So previous to COVID, we never ever did it online via a video call. This is all part of what COVID has done to the world. But this is actually a good thing because previous to this, people would have to fly into Melbourne to do this exam, which adds a whole nother cost of flights and accommodation. So this now gives people the opportunity of doing it from anywhere in the world. So that's a great thing. Now, these stations are about 10 minutes long and that is made up of two minutes reading time and then eight minutes being the actual station to be assessed. The stations may use actual patients, simulated patients or videotaped patient presentations. They can also use other materials such as charts, digital images and photographs. Um, 
So anything really. Each station has like a set objective on what they're trying to assess. And these are the following. History taking, examination, diagnostic formulation, management slash counseling slash education. So I'll give you an example. So taking the history of a patient with symptoms of shortness of breath. This will be a history station. Um, Physical examination of a patient with symptoms of suspected vascular disease. This is an examination station. Interpretation of a laboratory report result. This will be a diagnostic formulation station. So how are these stations assessed? Well, go and read that AMC2 specification booklet. It is really important because at the end of it, so on the last page, they actually show you the marking sheet. And the marking sheet makes you understand the process a bit more because I read through it and I still was, I got the idea because I've done WBA and I've looked at their mark sheet and I kind of figured it out. But if this was the first time um, of me doing a clinical exam and never seeing a mark sheet before, I probably would have still been quite confused. So I found their example of a mark sheet. It's on the last page and I highly recommend you look at that. So let's go through it together. So they talk about key steps. So on the mark sheet, they'll have key steps. Key steps will, in each station, there will usually be either two to five key steps that a candidate is expected to demonstrate. And they're marked as observed or not observed. So I'll give you an example. Um, This sample mark sheet that I'm looking at that's in the specification booklet, the topic is shortness of breath. And the key steps are the following. So this one's got three key steps. And it says, did the candidate exhibit the following key steps in the station? One, inquired about history of recent travel. And it's got a box, no or yes, so it's a tick. Two, requested measurement of oxygen saturation, yes or no. Three, considered the likely diagnosis, edit that out. Three, considered the likely diagnosis of pulmonary embolism, yes or no. Then the next part of the mark sheet talks about domains. So there will be about three to five assessed domains in each station and the candidate is um, marked on each separate domain and is rated on a seven point scale. So there is no pass or fail points for these ratings. It's just a scale of one to seven or N for like potentially not even observed. They didn't even do it. So domains um, can include such as approach to patient, history taking, choice and technique of physical examination, accuracy of physical examination, differential diagnosis, choice of interpretation or investigations. I'm going to tell you what this sample mark sheet says. So here it goes, the level of performance observed. Rate the candidate in each of the following domains. So in this case, we have four domains. One, approach to patient slash relative. And it has demonstrated respect and empathy towards the patient, used plain language and active listening. And then it has an N, which is like not observed. Um, And then it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they have to circle um, one of those numbers. Then the second domain is history. Assess the degree and duration of the shortness of breath, previous similar episodes, any other symptoms such as chest pain, coughing up phlegm or blood, 
fever, recent colds and flus, or any past lung problems. Also inquired about leg swelling, calf pain, recent travel or surgery, smoking, occupational and medication history. The third domain is choice and technique of examination, organization and sequence. So requested vital signs, pulse rate, blood pressure, temperature, respiratory rate, oxygen sats, heart sounds, examination, including oscillation of lungs, leg swelling and calf tenderness. Last domain is diagnosis and differential diagnosis. Reasoned from the history and examination findings that the most likely diagnosis is pulmonary embolism. Other possible diagnosis, pneumonothorax, infection, bacterial, viral, asthma, myocardial infarction, acute left ventricular fa- failure were reasoned to be unlikely. And then it's got a mark from one to seven again. Then the next part of the mark sheet on how it gets assessed is something called a global rating. Global rating is just the overall score. Did this person fail or did this person pass? Again, it's on a seven-point scale um, and it takes into account the what the actual station was about. So in this case, if the station was actually about taking a history, then it will really factor in like, okay, well, how did they do in the history part? Because they may have not done that great with the examination, but that's not what this station was about. So that's really important. So in this case, a score of three or below will mean that you failed the station and a score of four and above means that you passed the station. So how do you pass the entire exam? So we know there are 16 stations, but two of those stations are pilot stations. So these are stations that have never been used before and they're just seeing how they go and perhaps if they go well, they'll reuse them. But these two pilot stations, you have no idea that they're pilot stations because you'll you'll still get a mark sheet, but they don't count towards your overall pass or fail of the clinical exam. So what this means is that really, even though you're doing 16 stations and all 16 stations are assessed and all are done by mark sheets, only 14 of those stations will count. And if you get a pass in 10 or more of those 14 stations, you pass your AMC clinical exam. If you pass only nine of these stations out of the 14 stations, then you fail your AMC2 clinical exam. Now, you can attempt this exam as many times as you like. Obviously, it is extremely expensive to do that. But here's the catch. So you know those pilot stations that didn't count to your overall pass of the AMC clinical exam. If you got nine, so you were told that you passed only nine stations and you know that you need 10 to pass the clinical exam, you could potentially appeal the exam. I think appealing does cost money, but what you could do is they can look at your pilot stations. If you passed one of those pilot stations, then the board can deem it that they can substitute that pilot station for one of the failed stations so that technically you passed 10 stations and you then have passed your AMC2 clinical exam. So is it worth going through 
That, yeah, I think so. I mean, if you get a chance of not having to resit the exam and the stress with all that um, and the hard work with all that, then I think you should go for it. Now, how do you prepare for the AMC2 clinical exam? So this is what the AMC says. On their website, they have a list of recommended resources for preparation. And I have put the link in the caption. So one is the National Inpatient Medication Chart, NIMC. Now, this is just the medical medication chart that is used by doctors across Australia. It is extremely important for you to know, not just when you start working as a doctor, but it can come up as a station in your AMC2 clinical exam. Now, NPS, N for Nelly, P for Peter, S for Sam, is a website that um, it actually teaches you this national inpatient medical medication chart, how to use it correctly, how to write the right words in it, and how to prescribe legally. It's actually a mandatory training for all doctors when they start working. So if you don't do it now, you're going to do it at some point when you start working. It's three hours long, but it's filled with fantastic information. So it's definitely not one that you want to rush through. You want to take your time and absorb all the information in. So I highly recommend you do that. And there's a link to the NPS in our caption. Now you can also redo this medication tutorial over and over and over again, just so it's fresh in your mind. It certainly wasn't for me the first time I did it. So I've gone back and I've gone back multiple times. Um, I've actually gone back recently because I was on maternity leave. And even though I had been prescribing for a while, I just wanted to make sure that my mind was as fresh because the problem with the prescribing that if you even make slight errors, the pharmacist can actually put formal complaints in. Um, And it's more like a safety complaint. And that safety complaint goes to the director of clinical training, which is the boss of the junior doctors or the boss of the registrars. And then they catch up with you and say, you know, this complaint got put in. Let's look at the issue. Um, Did you know that you can't prescribe like this? It's unsafe. How do we fix it? Let me give you these resources. Let me um, get you one-on-one training with the pharmacist. So it's a bit of a process. Um, It's not the end of the world if that happens to you, but it's good to be prepared. So, and it's always good to refresh your knowledge because as you work through the hospital, you'll see people doing horrible examples of prescribing that but you'll see it so often that you actually think that that's legal and okay and it's not so I like to refresh my knowledge on this all the time so I even recently did it so highly recommend you do so part of the AMC recommended resources they also talk about the AMC bridging course AMC2 bridging courses, they've got a link to all the course providers and where they're located in what states. Highly recommend that you look into that. Do I recommend courses for AMC2 clinical exam? I really do. They are very expensive. They can go up to $10,000. However, these courses, I think are worth the money. You have practice stations where you have, you know, um, 
volunteer students pretending to be the patient. You go through your classic stations, classic presentations, and you really learn the skill and and not just the skill, but you learn the process and how to structure yourself that it starts becoming like almost like factory work. Like I got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's really important for people to learn because I feel like in the real world, you don't need to assess and figure out what's going on with the patient in eight minutes. There's no time constraint. So unfortunately, in this case, there is, and that can affect you passing. Um, so it's really good in learning those practices. Now, there is some courses that will let you get, um, let you pay for it through HEX. HEX is basically a government loan for study for students. And what they do is they let you pay it back when you start working and the, the payment will actually automatically come out of your pay and then the, the remainder of the amount will go into your bank account. So you pay it off. Now, there are some conditions with that. Um, if you're an Australian citizen, of course, you can get HEX. I'm not sure about permanent, permanent residence. You probably need to look into that one. The next thing that AMC recommends for prep preparation is the clinical examination specification booklet now a lot of this information i got from the booklet it is fantastic it's just like the amc mcq1 specification booklet it has it all so definitely definitely have a look at that the next thing they recommend is the candidate briefing video this is um, a video about six minutes long on just what the exam will be like it gives you a little run through the timer it goes off here and this is what you'll hear so it's just um, showing you what it'll be like on the day that's on their website and I've got a link in the caption then the next thing is the suggested textbooks now they suggest the anthology of medicine now this is a textbook that we mentioned in the AMC MCQ podcast um, it is about $177 brand new without shipping it is text heavy, but a lot of the images actually are used from that book that come up in their AMC MCQ1 exam and can come up in your AMC2 clinical exam. It's also a good book to have in clinical practice. Now, good thing about it is that there is no new edition. So this edition has been floating around for a while. So you can definitely avoid paying 177 Australian dollars and get yourself a second-hand copy on ebay.com.au or Facebook Marketplace. They also recommend the good medical practice book. So it's like a medical legal book. Highly recommend because you'll get medical legal potential stations in your AMC too, but you also get that in real life. So you kind of need to know um, what the rules around that. So you could probably find a second-hand copy of that book as well. Now, other ways to prepare, um, just like the AMC1 MCQ, there are going to be closed Facebook study groups. So these are groups that you kind of need to show a screenshot from your AMC candidate account and show that you're a real IMG and to get in. And these groups have people like going through questions together, um, talking about their experiences, especially if some of them have already done the AMC2 exam. You can even post in there to find a study buddy to commit to some Zoom or FaceTime with you a few hours a week and go through some stations together. Now, what is the cost of this exam? It is $3,350 online. Next year, it goes up to $4,130. 
Um, if you're doing it at the NTC, so the National Testing Center in Melbourne, it's $3,350 and it goes up to $3,730 next year. Okay, so planning for the examination. So you've booked in your exam, it's the date's approaching. What does the AMC specification booklet suggest you do? So it says that you should get a good night's rest before presenting for the exam. Avoid the use of stimulants or other drugs that may impair your performance. Read the placement letter carefully and note the times um, and for the NTC examinations, the exact location of their examination. Ensure that you arrive and attend on time for your clinical examination session and give yourself time to settle down. If traveling from interstate, ensure that you've checked any interstate time differences and allow extra time in case of delayed flights, travel time between the airport and the city. So this is exactly from the AMC1 MCQ specification booklet as well. The main gist of it is like give yourself enough time and don't leave anything to the last minute. That's really important. If also you're doing this online, just make sure you have really good internet that um, where you, wherever you decide to do it. And if you decide to do it somewhere else outside of your home that has good internet, you know, don't try to drive there. If it's, it's hours drive or it's a flight away, don't try to do that last minute. Try to give yourself a day and a half. So you're there in case of any car breakdowns or flights being cancelled, you don't miss out. So what do you do during and after the examination? So they're saying carefully read any um, preliminary data that is supplied and take special note of any tasks given. So really read the question very important and what the task is asking you to do. At the National Testing Centre examinations, you can listen carefully to the examiner's instructions and ask for clarification or for the question to be repeated. If uncertain about any instruction or questions from the examiner, so you can ask them to repeat it. Um, Don't overlook the fact that there may be simulated or real patients in the clinical examination. Examiners will take note of the manner in which the candidate addresses and deals with a patient. So if you're kind of rude and standoffish or ignore it, it doesn't really work in your favor. Also, avoid discussing patients with other candidates who may attend the clinical examination in the future because patients are rotated and in some cases, alternative conditions are examined in those patients with multiple clinical signs. So um, basically, you may have told a friend that, oh, this patient has this condition and if you get that, it's definitely this station. But that patient may be used for something else because they might have a condition, might have two conditions. This is Australia. People have comorbidities, I guess is the point. So don't don't share information and basically lead people down the wrong path. So when do you get the results? The results are available to download at 4 p.m. on the Friday, three weeks following the clinical examination. And we have the link to the results webpage in our caption. So let's say you've passed. What does that mean? If you've passed your AMC2 clinical exam, the AMC is going to issue you a certificate. This is actually for anyone who passes the AMC2 clinical exam and even the WBA program Um, because it basically means like you've done the AMC1 and you've done AMC2 clinical exam or WBA equivalent. And so you've kind of like completed that side of things. 
So you'll be issued the AMC certificate and it'll be sent from the AMC's office approximately six to eight weeks after completion. Um, and just note that it's only ever delivered to the candidates with Australian addresses. So if you don't have a Australian address, I guess it doesn't get delivered to you. I'm not sure if it just gets put on your AMC account portfolio. I dare I say yes, um, but I don't see that written anywhere. What that also means is that you can go ahead, if you haven't found a job yet, you can go ahead and find a job and when you get that job, you'll actually be getting provisional registration. So only when you get that job, then can you sit with your employer and apply for provisional registration. So that's what the AMC2 does. Now, if you didn't have AMC2, but you've found a job, and you're working on limited registration, when you finally get your AMC2 done, it doesn't mean that you'll get provisional registration. What it means, if you end up doing your 47 weeks of supervised practice, you can just go ahead and apply for general registration once you have the AMC2 exam done. Now, that is our AMC2 overview. I hope you found this useful. Um, we do have another part because as I mentioned, Sasha and I didn't do the AMC too. So we found a friend, we phoned a friend, I should say, and we um, asked them to come in and do us a favor and chat to you guys about their experience with the AMC2 clinical exam. And we're going to just scratch their brain and see if they've got any other things that they can recommend and, you know, ask them why they did it. Um, would they do it again? So that's going to be in the next part of this series. So please look out for it. If you're not already following us on social media, please go to our Instagram and Facebook at Code you Australia and hit the follow button. And if you enjoyed this, please go to our YouTube channel at Code you Australia and click the subscribe button because some of our videos don't go to our social media account. And if you don't want to miss out on another one of these videos, then please head over there and subscribe so you don't. Now, this is me signing off and I hope to catch you in the next part, which is part 5D, where we talk to our special guests all about their experience with the AMC2 clinical exam. See you there.